Hello and welcome to our latest episode of What in the World is Dyscalculia. And I swear one of these days I'm going to figure out how to put a music bed at the front of this podcast. If you happen to know how to do that, you can email me and let me know and then I can figure that out. I'm Dr. Honora Wall and I'm the host of our podcast which is presented by EduCalc Learning. You can visit EduCalcLearning.com for more information about the products, materials, and training we offer for Dyscalculia, the math learning disability. And we have a lot of information both for teachers, parents, and students. And we're adding to that website all the time. You can also check out www.thedtri.org for updates on the Dyscalculia Training and Research Institute. But today I want to take this podcast and do a deep dive into one of the accommodations I love to talk about, which is separating the topics on an assessment. So this one is going to be definitely geared for the educators who are listening, but for parents or students, this might help you advocate for this type of accommodation and give you some of the reasons why this is very important for students with the math learning disability. And also for any kind of neurodivergence. Uh, if, If students have ADHD or high functioning autism, executive function or processing speed issues, or sometimes with dysgraphia or dyslexia, there are a number of reasons why we want to break down our assessments into topic specific areas so that it our students can really focus on one or two things at a time without being overwhelmed. When our students get overwhelmed with too much information, the brain gets mentally exhausted. It's not just the confusion of having too many things to keep straight. It's literally a drain on our mental energy, on our reserves. It's very difficult and overwhelms our cognitive load. And these are the things that make those little mistakes happen. If you happen to be the kind of grader who's taking half points off here, there, and everywhere, thank you for giving the half points where the work is correct. But if you're having to take off a lot of those half points, that's a sign that your student is either struggling with too much information, just like if you were carrying too many things at once and you dropped a couple of things, if you had put some of them down, you'd be able to carry them all without dropping any. Or you might have a student who is having issues with visual spatial things and some of the details are getting away from them, but it's a sign that they're becoming overwhelmed when they're making lots of little mistakes. This topic came up for me because I was just working with a student in an Algebra 2 course. And this student does not have a diagnosed learning disability. She just came to me as a struggling math student. She may have something that is not diagnosed, but I will keep my armchair diagnosis to myself and we'll just talk about this assessment. Now my student had missed a few days of class and she has to retake the assessment when she goes back to school. We met last week to talk about the notes from class, go over the information, thinking that she would take that test 
the next day. Well, as happens quite frequently, totally normal, the test got pushed to a different day. And luckily for us, we had time to have a second tutoring session. So that was great. We could really cover what we had previously talked about, see how much she remembered, how much still made sense, and kind of focus on the things that were left. Well, this is where an accommodation would have been great because this test covered graphing parabolas in standard form, vertex form, intercept form, converting between standard form, vertex form, vertex form and intercept form, intercept form and standard form, and writing the equation of a parabola just having three different points along that parabola. Now I know that the teacher was thinking, okay, this all makes sense to go on one assessment because all of it involves axis of symmetry, vertex, y-intercept. So having the same work to do seems like it should all go on the same assessment. Now the issue, of course, and the reason why I advocate for separating assessments by topic is this. If you teach higher level math, you understand what I just said. If you don't teach higher level math regularly, then you don't know what I'm talking about. Standard form, vertex form, parabola. By the time I got to axis of symmetry, you probably had some of that math PTSD. Your stomach is tying up in a knot. You're not sure what this stuff was. You had heard of a vertex before, but vertex form and conversion, and you've checked out. So knowing that axis of symmetry, vertex, and y-intercept are your important tools that can be used for all these different problems, only works if you are so familiar with the content that those words make sense, what they look like on a graph makes sense, how you find them in an equation makes sense, and then how you manipulate them makes sense. As teachers, that makes sense. We know what all of that vocab means and that work is that needs to be done. But our students are learning. I'm going to say that again for the people in the back. Our students are learning. One more time, just in case it didn't really sink in. Our students do not know. They are just learning this information. They do not have the level of comfort with this vocabulary. They do not have the repeated experience of working with this vocabulary with numbers and using these equations. They do not have the repetition to form in their mind a vision of what in the world I'm talking about. For the listeners who teach higher level math, the minute I said a parabola, an axis of symmetry, they were already forming what that looks like in their mind. They were thinking about the letter U. They were thinking about where the vertex goes versus the y-intercept. They knew exactly what that looked like in an equation, and they understood the different forms I was talking about. That comes from repeated exposure. And by definition, our students do not have that repeated exposure. That's why they're in our class. That's our job. We're introducing them to these concepts.
Now, my student was very overwhelmed during both of our sessions. She was getting better. She was getting more comfortable. She still wasn't sure exactly when to use what form, exactly what was different between vertex form or standard form. And then that made her forget things like the negative B instead of just the B value. And again, if you don't teach higher level math, you don't even know what I'm talking about, which is pretty much how most of the students in her class must have felt because the average test score was a 40 for the students who had taken it on that first day. Now, educators, I know sometimes we teach this stuff and we go over it a million times and we can't believe the test scores that come back. And it's very demoralizing, it's upsetting, it's aggravating, and we're not sure what happened. And we have a pacing chart we're supposed to keep going so we can hit all our standards before the end of the year. But if everybody's getting a 40, it's really time to stop and reflect and see what we can do differently so that our class has better performance. Now there's a million reasons why students might have bombed a test as an entire class. But I will say one potential reason is that there were just too many different topics on this assessment. From the student point of view, the students had a really hard time Obviously, I'm sure my student is reflective of her classmates, feeling comfortable and feeling masterful, knowing what they were looking at and when to use these different tools. Now, I'm talking about an Algebra 2 class, but that feeling of confusion and having too many tools and not knowing when to use them or how to use them, that is going to be true for every single one of our classes. Even if you are teaching addition and subtraction, for you, it is comfortable and familiar. And for your students, it is brand new. So they are learning when you count on and move forward and get to a larger number for your answer versus how do you know when you're working backwards and taking away and getting to a smaller answer and if you then have to put that into a word problem and then if you have to do it in this question's adding this one's subtracting this one is adding this one's a word problem now your brain is bouncing back and forth between all of these different topics so please don't think that it's only algebra 2 that's confusing the part that makes it confusing is that it's brand new for students. And that's just based on the fact that they are students. They are learning for the first time. If this teacher had given some instruction and some practice and an assessment on graphing from these different forms, she would have had a much better understanding of how her students performed on that task using the skill set for that topic. Then do some teaching, instruction, practice, and an assessment just on converting between these different forms, but not with the graphs added in. That visual spatial versus equation piece is a huge difference. We're talking about very different parts of the brain. We're throwing in the numeracy, making sure that we're combining our numbers properly, we're throwing in the negative sign, 
the different letters that are placeholders in our equations. So there's a whole lot of switching between areas of the brain when we're doing that kind of work. Frankly, it was obviously just too much for this class. And now the teacher really does not know which of the students have mastered any part of this lesson. She doesn't really know who's good or bad at graphing. She doesn't really know who's good or bad at converting between equation form and how we write different formats. Because she doesn't know if the students struggled with that or if they struggled with being overwhelmed or did they struggle with paying attention to the details when there were so many other big idea topics to include. That'll be true in middle and elementary school as well. The more topics you have on an assessment and the more you bounce back and forth between question types, the more you are overwhelming cognitive load, you are overwhelming the mental capacity of your students, and you are not getting accurate information about their understanding of the material. Your data is flawed. Now we need to use data to drive instruction. I will save that for a separate podcast, but we cannot use data to drive instruction if we have bad data. Our results are only as good as the information we're using to analyze results. If you want to know how your students are truly doing, you need to separate those topics. You need to either give one topic per assessment or you at the very least need to separate three to five questions that are just adding, then three to five questions that are just subtraction, subtraction, then three to five questions that are just word problems. And now you can see from those results where your students had mastery and where they did not. Now, of course, this podcast is about people who, in addition to all of everything I just said, which is true for every student, they also have a math learning disability that makes their parietal lobe lose math information over time. So all of that that we've talked about, plus having to remember basic facts, plus remembering steps and procedures, plus remembering out of all these different forms in their head, which one happens to be called vertex form, which one happens to be called standard form, and how do you know the difference? That extra added piece is why the accommodations are crucial. So calculator use, worked example, reference sheet that says vertex form and has that equation, standard form has that equation, so that they can say, oh yes, 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 now I know what I'm doing. That's how I need to write it. Let me go find out where those numbers come from now. That's the kind of accommodation we're looking for. Now teachers, sometimes you're going to have to make your own assessments if you're going to use this accommodation because you might be using a math program or a textbook or a computer-based or online program that is not separating by topic and you're going to have to step in. I hate for us to have to do more work. We're already working hard all day, but truly that's the only way we're going to know where our students are hearing and understanding what we're saying and recalling information in the right way. If you have students who have dyscalculia, you have got to use this accommodation where you are separating topics on these assessments. It's the 
only way they're going to know exactly what they need to do and do or do not. If you give them an assessment that is only graphing parabolas in three different forms, or only answering word problems, or only looking at the slope of a graph, whatever level of math you're teaching, that one topic, let them perform that skill. And then you will know whether or not they can do that skill. A different assessment has a different topic. That way you know whether or not they have that skill. Mixing them all together, very, very bad move. Outside of the world of dyscalculia. If you're finding that there's a topic that your entire class is bombing, try this out. Try separating out your assessments and get some more refined information. And then you'll know where your students really are. So that was a lot of talk about one topic, assessments, and what are some of the ways our assessments can support or act as a barrier to student success. I'd like you to try this out. Let me know how it goes in your classroom. Email me, honora at educalclearning.com. Find Educalc Learning on Facebook or on LinkedIn and message me through there. And let me know what happens in your classroom or with your students. If you're a parent or you are a student with dyscalculia, ask for this as an accommodation. That your assessments have limited topics and direct, straightforward instruction. And let's see whether or not that makes a difference. In my experience, it always makes a positive difference. So let me know how it goes for you. I'm Dr. Honora Wall with EduCalc Learning, and I thank you for being a part of the What in the World is Dyscalculia podcast. Thanks for listening.